From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 381. Today's show is brought to you by Bombus, Capital One, and Setup. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. Good morning slash evening. I have a question for you. It's a Snell Talk question, of course, and it comes from Ryan, and it's continuing, I think, the trend of the last two to three weeks worth of Snell Talk questions. Oh, boy. Ryan wants to know what book or books are you reading right now? What books, plural, is an interesting one, right? Do I, do, some people have, like, multiple books going at once. Mm-hmm. I don't generally do that i just finished uh i've been on quite a little tear in november i've read a bunch of books so nano read mode no i uh i am reading the steers woman series by rosemary kirstein which is a fantasy question mark science fiction question mark series uh originally published in the i think starting in the late 80s um i've been reading those and enjoying them, I started. I read A Deadly Education by Naomi Novik, which is the first book in a series, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, I read A Darker Shade of Magic, which is the first in a series, and I enjoyed that. And uh, last month, I read City of Stairs and City of Blades by Robert Jackson Bennett, which are part of a trilogy. Got the third one ready to go. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. So those are some books that I've enjoyed lately. And I, I'm basically at the point where I'm cycling I'm cycling through those series. So mm-hmm. I'm going to read the next book in this series and the next book in that series and, ah. and, and do that for a little while, I think. Okay, because I was just going to ask, why would you not go from book to book to book in a series? I, I like giving it some space, honestly. Okay. I, I generally like giving it some space rather than like binging a whole sp- series. If I've got a bunch of different series that I'm reading, that is, that is the level at which I want to... I don't want to have a bunch of books that I'm reading at once, but I do kind of like that idea that I have I found this first book and I really liked it and it's a trilogy. It's like, well, I'm going to read the next two, but I I can also be patient and I've got some other, you know, other books going on and it stretches out that experience a little bit so it isn't quite as intense and I I, I kind of like that. Sometimes you can't help it and you're just like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go to the next book in the series, but sometimes you can put it off a little bit and know that there's that next book is out there. And in the case of one of these books, I also put it on my queue at the library um, and, and using the Libby app for uh, an ebook checkout from my local library. It was available, the next book in one of these series, and it said, uh, we'll get that to you in 17 weeks. Um, oh, which- good. May not be entirely accurate, but um, what I what I like about that is that one, it'll just come to me for free, and also I'll just get that push notification that says, "Hey, that book." I'll be like, "Oh yeah, I like the first book in that series," and then I'll read the second book, and that that's a good way to do it too. So, um, so that's that's it. I, so, what am I going to read? I finished uh, I finished a book yesterday. So, what am I going to read next? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Unclear, Ryan. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show. You can send out a tweet with the hashtag SnowTalk or use question marks SnowTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. Like Ryan did. Thank you, Ryan. iOS 15.2 is currently in beta. I think we're up to beta 2 or 3 of 15.2 now. And there are a couple of things going on here that I wanted to talk about. One of them is communication safety has returned. This was one of the two features that Apple added, which <laughs> caused... lesser known of the, of the features. Of yeah, this was added alongside the CSAM scanning, so the child sexual abuse material scanning. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know, you know, I was just saying about that, I was thinking as we approach the end of the year, you know, like we have the upgrades, more information that soon and on Connected, we do like the year review thing. And this is just going to be one whole month, right? Like the month of whatever it was, I don't remember. That was when Apple's made us all talk about child sexual abuse material for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they have brought back... <laughs> it's when we learned the term CSAM. CSAM. Yay! <laughs> Thank CSAM. you. CSAM! Uh, so the uh, they're bringing the one part of it back. This is the system that looks for nudity in messages to children, warning them of what it could include. And they've made some tweaks to this system now. So a child of any age will now have the option to message someone that they trust for help if they receive this imagery before viewing it, rather than it automatically just alerting parents. So you get the option to send a message to someone before doing anything else with it, which is really good because the concern is who sent that message in the first place and can they be trusted or can you trust your automatic people in your family as the child? So I think that's a good addition. Right. It's clearly Apple having received some feedback about this the less controversial of the of the uh two or three i guess sets Mm -hmm. of of uh, new features and making some adjustments based on the feedback which again easier on this score than some of the other criticisms that they received but it's interesting to see that they one are still committed to doing this and two have made some adaptations based on Mm -hmm. the feedback yeah, like I saw a bunch of headlines that were along the lines of, I just Googled, I just searched in Google News now, like Apple to beta test iMessage feature that warns kids about nude imagery. Latest iOS beta blurs nude images for children. Like this is the type of headline that should have occurred in the first instance because they should have released these two things separately. Yeah. Right. The, the problem was we talk about it at a time, but now it's like I see that and I'm like, oh yeah, great. You know, like it's an easier thing to just accept uh, rather than the whole like, oh, and also Apple's going to scan every single image on your phone, right? Like it just messed, it, yeah. me- it muddied the waters way too much. They couldn't get the message out properly. And I think that they're now doing the right thing by by bringing this part back. Um, I think it was, and I'm happy with the tweaks that they are making to this system um, to make it more kind of thought through for everybody in the process, including the child who I would argue is the person who should be considered most and what they need in this situation. Uh, so I think this is this is cool, uh, and I'm pleased that they're I'm, I'm pleased that they're bringing this part back first. It, I think it was the best part of everything with the least issues, um, and could and would really I think help some people out. So I'm pleased it's finding its way back into iOS. And you can look at I mean you can listen back to our podcast where we talked about why this was such a PR disaster and why it was uh, their their own fault for conflating all this stuff together. In the intervening months, the the best I've come up with is that Apple's tendency to group things together in order to uh, to tell a, a story, in order to form a narrative, which is a thing that they do a lot that is, that works for them a lot. Um, the short version is, I think that's what got them here, is that they decided that this could all be wrapped together in a very simple narrative of keeping kids safe, and it turned out to be way more complicated than that, and. Uh, they weren't able to sort of just slide it by with their narrative. The power of their narrative building wasn't able to do the job. So here they are. I think I'm encouraged by the fact that they rolled this out in a beta without the other features being involved. Like, yes, that's probably the best thing to do. Yep. (laughs) And uh, there's an update to find my, 
that allows you to quote scan for items that can track me. So this is if you are concerned or if you somebody has a concern about having an air tag placed on them, that the Find My app can now like you can ask it to actively look for these types of devices that could be hidden on your person, which is a good feature. And then they've added this functionality to another part of the app as well that you can use this to scan for something if you're looking for something or if the, say say for example i went to jason's house and i had a an item with an air tag on a like a bag i'm like jason i think i left my bag in your home and he can't see it but i was like i have an air tag on it jason can say help me find something and then the phone starts actively searching for an air tag ah. in that vicinity so i like that they've added this functionality and it does two different things and i think that that's really cool so these are two things that are coming to the find my app i think they developed this little part of the app to deal with uh, concerns around privacy, but then they're also turning it into a general user feature as well. So I think that's, I also think that's a good part of it to have of like you contact someone and say, I lost this here. And then they can go into find my and like put the app into finding mode, like an active finding mode. So it has to be a lost device. It's a device that like an air tag that you said, this is lost. You know, you can go in and do that. Like I've lost this. Right. And then it will, then the uh, find my app will look for those tagged devices as such. I uh, have noticed since I've been using this MacBook Pro, the new MacBook Pro, mm -hmm. and I, I don't think this is entirely new, but I think I maybe have it turned off for other devices. But one of the things that's amused me about it is that it's basically acting like an AirTag. When I leave it, I get an emergency note yeah. on my phone that says, yeah. you've left your laptop behind, yeah. which you know is actually very helpful. But in the context of me leaving it at home, when I go away from my home is a little bit uh, kind of humorously needy of <laughs> MacBook Pro. It's so like, you no, can go into the Find My app and into the device and you can add ring fence locations that it won't alert you about. Yeah. So, I th But I do like that yeah. feature in general. I think it's, it's a cool. great feature. I, and it's just not one that I had experienced firsthand until I set up this MacBook Pro and now I'm yep. seeing it. And it, it is. It, it's using the same infrastructure as Find My. It's using the same app. It's using the same notification settings as Find My. And, uh, and it is a good feature to be able to warn you that you left your laptop behind, right? Like that is, in general, you don't want to do that. Uh, well, we're talking about things we've spoken about previously. Mm. Sometimes it's the appendix -up. section. Of, well, I mean, that is follow up, right? It is literally the definition of what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Playdate has been delayed, unfortunately. Not too surprisingly delayed. Uh, there, there comes a moment in every product's life when it's announced to ship by the end of a year and it is mid-November and yeah. there has been no communication about that product status when you start to think, I suspect. I, it's, it's years now of doing a podcast about space. That has taught me to look look for all the signs of uh, of delays because space stuff is all about delays. Everybody in space says we're going to do it in 2014, and then in 2020 they're like, "Look at us, we did it!" And you're like, uh, "It's a little late, but good job." So this is a little like that where Playdate they were quiet about it, um, and it turns out that yeah, the first batches that were supposed to ship by the end of the year will be early next year instead and then the rest of their stuff has also been pushed back um not not a shock it's sort of sad i found mm -hmm. pictures of people playing with the playdate uh test hardware at wwdc uh in in 2019 the other day mm -hmm. and i thought oh wow playdate and then now here it is delayed even further um 
it's a tough story because they had them in their warehouse in California ready to ship. And they did tests on them and found out that the batteries on lots of them were super uh, defective, basically. Which, they panic doesn't say anything about this, but I get a real sense that what happens a lot in industries is the best customers get the first crack at the hardware. Mm-hmm. And the little customers don't (laughs) and that you might have like let's say battery that you're relying on and you're panic making play dates and so you get a sample and you're like this battery is great and then it turns out that they make a million of them at the factory but the first 800,000 go to their best client and you're at the end of the line well guess what you may get the ones that are rejected by the client you may get the ones that are not as good and i'm not saying that that happened here but it feels kind of like something like that happened here where they were sold a good battery and what they got were bad batteries so they had to get a new battery supplier they had to send the playdates that, that that were in the US back to malaysia to be re you know disassembled and reassembled with a new battery in it mm-hmm. um, so that's bad and then to make matters worse the processor that they chose, and keep in mind, they chose this processor, what, four years ago, mm-hmm. five years ago, mm-hmm. a long time ago. They chose the processor that runs in this thing, and they designed the circuit board around it. And this is their first uh, hardware product. Um, I said this to Dan Warren last week on the Six Colors podcast. This is why it's called hardware, Mike. It's, Otherwise, it'd be called tricky. easyware. Yeah, yeah but it's hard. Way. Hardware, so it's... It's hard. Anyway, the um, the processor, they're like, great, we need to ship more playdates in 2022. Can we have more processors? And the processor uh, supplier said, yes, you can have them in 2024. And Manic was like, wait, what now? So it turns out there's a different ARM processor that is basically identical, but it's slightly different, that they can get faster and they can get it for next year so they can ship playdates next year. But it requires them to do a revision to their motherboard of the playdate in order to use the different chip, which means that, yes, uh, after the first couple batches of playdates, it sounds like the ones that come thereafter will be using a modified motherboard, a different motherboard. It's like another revision because they have to change what processor they're using. All the software will be the same and, you know, it'll all look the same. But behind the scenes, they basically had to change their design because of chip availability, which means, Mike, that it's the legacy nodes. It's the legacy nodes. It's the fault of the legacy nodes. This yeah. is what it is like to make things in 2021. This is just what it is like. Like if you make products, yeah. this is what the, this is what it is like. You are tough time scrambling. to do your first hardware product, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh no, the, the the supply chain in Asia, it'll be fine. It's like, mm, no, it's, it turns out it's worse than fine. It's it's much worse than fine. So uh, I feel bad for them. Feel bad for all the people who want a play date mm-hmm. and want it by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. Mm-mm. It sounds like they've got it all together, but again, mm-hmm. who knows? Who knows what will come next? This episode of Upgrade is brought to you in part by Setup. Getting things done is a challenge that we all struggle with. One way to tackle it is to make sure that you have the right tools for you and your for your computer. And that means having the right apps. Setup is on a mission to help users get more done. With Setup, there's no more worrying about having to search for apps to solve a problem. Setup packs over 200 apps for your Mac and iPhone into one. There's an app for almost any task, so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. So you can think about your tasks, not your apps, because you're always going to have the right 
thing to help you get stuff done. Uh, Setup is great because it includes a bunch of apps like that I really love. So I want to give you two big recommendations for me that I think every Mac user should own, and they're a part of Setup. One is Bartender. Bartender's getting a lot of sp- talking about right now because it can really help you if you have a, a Mac with a notch on the display because it will help you tidy up your menu bar items. And also CleanShot X, which is, from, in my opinion, if you take screenshots on your Mac, you should be using CleanShot X. It is absolutely superb. I love it. And it is also available as part of Setup. And what I also really love about these is that they are the full featured pro versions of these apps. So updates are free and you don't need to worry about like, oh, what kind of version am I getting of the app? Is it watered down? No, you get the full featured pro version. Setup is super convenient and great value because instead of paying for hundreds or even thousands of dollars for separate licenses and having to manage all of the separate licenses, you get them all with just one flat monthly fee and new apps are added very regularly to Setup too. So there's always something new to check out. So go to setapp.com slash upgrade FM and you can try out Setapp free for a week. Then if you like it, it's just $9.99 per month. One more time, that is setapp.com slash upgrade FM and you can try it out free for a week. Our thanks to Setapp for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we knew this was going to come back and it's the story has come back and it's we're going to talk a little bit more about Apple, Epic and external linking. So this was a thing that came Woo-hoo. out. <laughs> linking, linking. We love linking. talking about linking on this show. So uh, we do. Judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers rejected Apple's appeal to delay her ruling that they must allow for external payment options for apps on iOS. So the ruling that Judge Gonzalez Rogers stated was that there must be additional options that for apps to be able to provide payment uh, links to external payment options inside of their applications by December 9th. Obviously, this is not something Apple allows at the moment. Apple asked for what's known as a stay on this ruling so that they could appeal it further and also have more time to make necessary changes. They wanted a delay on it, basically. Uh, this is a quote from Apple attorney Mark Perry. This will be the first time Apple has ever allowed live links in an app for digital content. It's going to take months to figure out the engineering, economic, business, and other issues. Hmm. Uh, There's still no clear guidelines, really, about what will or will not be accepted by the court. So can you put one link in your app? Can you put more than one link? Uh, Can you... Can anybody define what a metadata button is? <laughs> That's what it just continues to say. Uh, I want to. We'll talk about this in a second, but I just want to read this quote from Judge Gonzalez Rogers as well. So this was her decision to Apple. The court is not convinced, but nor is it here to micromanage. Consumers are quite used to linking from an app to a web browser. Other than perhaps needing time to establish guidelines, Apple has provided no credible reason for the court to believe that the injunction would cause the professed devastation. Links can be tested by app review. Users can open browsers and retype links to the same effect. It is merely inconvenient, which then only works to the advantage of Apple. I really like this. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic because I agree. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, like I understand if Apple's trying to build like a whole system here, which they may be, right? Like that sure. thing that Google was doing that we spoke about last week. But the judge isn't asking for that. The judge is saying, at least in the interim, basically from December 9th, allow people to tap a link to go to a web browser to pay for a subscription or whatever. 
But it, it's very much Apple saying, um, okay, if we're going to do this, we need to over-engineer all of this. We mm-hmm. need to change all our guidelines and we need to build a system that scans for links and we need to figure out what the rules need to be around what happens at the other end of those links. And like, they're... So what they're saying is we're we're really going to do this up. We're not going to just put a, let people do links. We're gonna it it needs to be much more complicated. I think that's their argument, right? Is it needs to be much more complicated and it'll take time. And the judge is basically saying it doesn't need to be more complicated. I told you to do this, so you need to do it. And uh, that is interesting, right? Because I, I have no doubt, and I think we've talked about this before, the idea that Apple might want to have a more holistic system for whatever changes are made. They want to change it in app review and maybe there's an API and like whatever it is. Like I get it, but I also get the judge saying, no, I told you to just let them put links in. This is the, this is the bare minimum. And if you want to build support around it, you can, but the bare minimum is just let them put a link in their app to go to their website. That's, that is what I ordered you to do. And yes, the uh, the argument is also that it's very self-serving uh, for Apple to say this will take a while because they're mm-hmm. stalling because they're appealing and they don't want to do it. And so by saying, please give me a stay, they're basically playing for time so that they can hopefully avoid uh, doing it altogether. So that's the game that they're playing. And I do admire her saying, um, you're making this more complicated than it has to be. Mm-hmm. I told you to put a link. So do it. I kind of also like there's this. There's, I get this sense of I'm not an idiot. I know what you're trying to do here. Right? Yeah. Like I know that yeah. you're just saying all of this so you don't have to do the thing you don't want to do. Yeah. And she says, yeah, you may need to revise your rules, right? To say like, well, here's what we'll allow and we're we're not. But Apple seems to be saying like we're gonna take. It's gonna take us months. Oh, it's so hard. We haven't understood the economic yeah. devastation that could occur. Like yeah, oh. and and she's saying. It looks fairly simple to me, and I'm not buying your line of argument that this is going to take months of intense study to figure out how to do this. And, and you know, also, I think you could interpret it as being it will take us months to figure out how to undercut your order as much as possible mm-hmm. so that while we follow the letter of the law, the letter of your ruling, we avoid all the consequences of it. And she's saying, no, just put the links in, please. Yep. That's what I that's that's what I told you to do. Um, so do it. Um, the, the truth is that Apple is still uh, playing for time and they are appealing. And it feels to me entirely likely that they will take this to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. I think they basically said they would, Jason. Yes, and that yeah. the Ninth Circuit will then issue a preliminary stay so Apple doesn't have to do anything while they consider the case, right? And Apple's plea will be, this changes our whole business model for something that we're appealing. So don't make, you know, don't make us do this thing while the appeal is going on because it will, you know, it it has this, it will threaten us and, and cause harm to us for something that you may think we don't actually have to do. So don't make us do it. But my argument, if I was this yeah. judge here, is... You've already said you're going to for the Jap- Japanese Fair Trade Commission, but you haven't announced any more information about what that's going to look like. Yeah. So they are already preparing for this, but they're not saying what they're doing. So it is going back to the idea of like, you're only not doing it now when you've been told to, because it is the most convenient option for you. 
Like, they must have already worked out before they made the deal with the JTFC what the impact of sure. this would be on their business. Yeah, and that's, but I, I do think it's the most likely scenario is that the Ninth Circuit just stays the order and says, we'll work this out next year and uh, don't worry about it in the meantime. But if you're Apple, you, you have to have the contingency in place, right? To say, hey, we've changed the rules. Good news, everybody. <laughs> You can put a link in. We took it upon ourselves. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, you, you got to be able to be... The judge has told you you need to do this. So you need to be prepared to do it while hoping that, that another um, another judge or panel of judges will say, hold off for now. Um, they're playing for time. I think that's... Yep. I, I wouldn't put any money on this going into effect. I think it's more likely... Because, you know... I am skeptical of Apple's arguments here, but if you're if you're a judge in the Ninth Circuit and you look at this and you say, well, this potentially could change their whole business model, uh, either in whole or in part, and we're asking them to change it in advance of our ruling if we decide that this is worth considering an appeal on, then let's not make them right. Like, don't make them do the do the thing that they say is going to be a big deal. Uh, if we're not sure that they, in the long run, are going to need to do it, like I can see, I can see the argument that they'd be like, "All right, let's just let it go while we ponder. We're not going to make you do this thing because we're considering it." It's also possible, though, that they'll be like, "No, like this is your, this is a real stretch here." <laughs> I don't know. Um, judges do what they want. I don't know much about what the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is. Just I just know the phrase, but. You know, like tech companies, especially Apple, not particularly popular right now from a political standpoint. It's true across across the aisle. Yes. Uh, and so on on something like the Ninth Circuit Court, which is uh, it's famous, it's it's one of the more liberal courts, although it is more conservative than it used to be. Uh, it's a panel of judges. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they I don't actually know a lot of detail about the process. I have I have two um I have a I have a state supreme court judge and a federal uh, judge in my family in my extended wow. family, but I I have to say I have to sort of sadly nod and say I don't know what the process is mm-hmm. at the Ninth Circuit and I don't think we're going to be blamed for, for a panel. You know. I imagine that they either have a judge who has to act on the initial appeal or they have they convene a small, you know, panel of judges to look at this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know the details of it, but it's going to go to the Ninth Circuit and and I have read people who know more about the law than I do say that it'll probably just get um stayed while they look at it. I mean, I know personally I want them to say no, you have to do it because I want the drama. I'm a big drama llama when it comes to sure. this. Sure, uh, oh yeah, I know. And plus, do I want the drama in December? Yeah, I do, because December's usually a quiet month. I'd love, I'd love mm-hmm. a bit of app review drama. That'd be fun. So we'll see. Sure. I think it's going to be messy if if it, it does. <laughs> this is just going to continue to be messy. Whenever they do eventually get to adding, like saying, like, oh yeah, you can put these links in, it's going to be a mess. I feel like, and uh, I'm intrigued to see what they end up doing with this. Yeah, I mean, this is the. Apple's fighting, but Apple's also making changes because they're knowing when they need to fight and when they need to not fight mm-hmm. or when they can't fight. And uh, change is happening kind of regardless, but it's not always a change that 
everybody envisions, right? It's a <laughs> disappointing minor change instead of something that's huge and earth shattering. And as we discussed last week, even something like separate payment systems, which everybody said, finally, I won't need to give Apple 15% or 30%. It looks like even if that comes to pass, you'll still need to give Apple 15 or 30 percent right like Mm -hmm. that's what google's saying is Mm -hmm. no 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 i mean regardless of who's processing the credit card you still got to give us our cut and and it doesn't seem like that's uh that that may be a stronger legal uh leg to stand on so uh i i think as in the words of the princess bride Hmm. um get used to disappointment (laughs) apple have launched something called business essentials it's true what is this jason it's a service, Mike. It's a oh, service. there we go. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> How do you make the bar graph go up? Okay. Add more services. So Apple has added a service that's for smaller businesses between 50 and 500 employees. And there are lots of companies out there that do this, some of whom have probably sponsored this this podcast in the past. Maybe. Um, they they um, There are a lot, a lot of work in this space. But, of course, here's the first party. Here's the pr- platform owner coming into the space. Could be dangerous. Could be nothing. I mean, honestly, the history of this sort of thing, um, sometimes the platform owner rolls in and you're like, uh-oh, the jig is up and everybody has to adjust to work around them. And we see that a lot when Apple comes in in any market and says, we have a new app that does this. Everybody else is like, okay, well, we can't just do the bare bones. We have to do all the edge cases because Apple's going to hit them the middle of this market and we're going to be around the edges. We've also seen it, though, where a first party has come in, the the, the um, platform owner rolls in and says, ha-ha, we're here now, we've solved it, and they fall flat on their face because they don't actually understand that market at all and thought that just because they're the platform owner, they could rake in the uh, the money from the customers, and they can't because they don't really understand the details. Or, and I think this is relevant in this story too, sometimes organizations that are the platform owner have to make certain decisions because it's their platform that... Uh, that third parties don't need to make. And it comes down to things like how well do we support things that aren't from Apple, for example, or is there something political inside Apple where like a certain kind of thing that you really should offer? And they're like, well, we can't offer that because that's some other department and all the competitors do. I I don't know enough about this space to be able to drill down in detail here, Mm -hmm. but uh, this is just always what happens when stuff like this goes on. So in, in this particular case, what they're doing is they're combining a bunch of stuff together. They're they're building a, a web-based device management system that uses existing device management APIs that are in, I mean, they're in iOS 15 and macOS Monterey now, and other developers also use them. So it's not, they're not doing secret sauce, at least not yet, where they are building something and it's only for Apple. They're they're literally building an Apple version of the stuff on top of their public API for device management, is my mm-hmm. understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's part of it, which is like, they and they've got a philosophy, which is you tie it to a person, you generate an Apple ID for that person for your business, and they log in and it's a separate cryptographic key from their personal Apple ID. So their their stuff belongs to them, even if it's their iPhone, their, their stuff belongs to them, your stuff belongs to you. This is a system that Apple's been working on its platforms for a long time. You use the website to, you know, to roll out a new laptop or roll out a new uh, iPad to them or whatever else. Lots of companies do this, um, but a- Apple is now going to offer that as part of this service. Um, they are uh, including iCloud storage as a part of it. 
the base seems really vanilla. Like the base plan here seems pretty basic. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, it's security policies and, and uh, apps can be rolled in and they've got an app that basically is a collection of the apps that the, uh, that the, the company owns and wants to deploy on the systems. And it's all pretty basic stuff. I think the part that is interesting is that, um, and it's in beta now until next spring for free so people can try it out and then they're going to start to charge for it. So there will be a starting at $3 per user per month and then going up based on how many devices uh, a user has and how many how much iCloud storage they've got. But the really interesting thing to me is that they're also going to upsell people to a tier that has uh, Apple Care Plus another service. We don't think of Apple Care as a service, but it is one of Apple's more profitable services. It's a big part of uh, of the services revenue. We think about like Apple Music and Apple TV Plus, but Apple Care is a big part of Apple services revenue. Mm. And there is a, there is an enterprise Apple Care Plus. This this is going to be a business essentials Apple Care Plus plan, but the idea here um, if to hear Apple tell it, the idea here is one, there will be phone support. So if you're a smallish company and somebody's having a problem getting something on their iPhone to work, instead of having to have your smallish company's smallish or non-existent help desk answer that question, they can just call Apple Care Support and ask that question. That seems like a very attractive part yeah. of this, right? Right, and and they're going to and again, it's first party. It's Apple support people, and then the second part of it is is uh, repair, and it's not just they said it's not just in an Apple store repair, but it's also on-premises repair. So if you think about that, if you're a distributed company and you've got a problem with a laptop in somebody's house somewhere, mm. um, in in this scenario, if you're paying for this service, they will send a tech to their house to look at that laptop within hours, right? Not like in a week, but like within hours. And that's not going to be cheap, right? But it also, I can see why it would have appeal and it and most importantly it takes advantage of the infrastructure of apple care and that's one of the reasons that it's kind of interesting is that they're using their existing very large apple care infrastructure and including their their enterprise version and then baking another version of it in uh that uses this service for for smaller business so it's you know it's an interesting idea um and my guess is that it's neither going My guess is it's not going to eradicate all the other companies that are out there doing this sort of thing, but it may make them have to adjust their strategy because Apple uh, is going to come in with something basic. And it's a little bit like Apple making iPhone cases, right? It's like there is something to be said for the one-stop shop where you buy a bunch of devices uh, from your business rep for your 40-person company, or, or sorry, 50-person company, 100-person company. And they and they immediately are like, we've also got a whole device management system that could be part, you know, part of our deal with you. And like, there's some appeal to that. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean that they're going to eradicate the competition here. In fact, I think it's more likely that this is found wanting and that they have to decide whether they want to fix it or abandon it. But um, it is an interesting new wrinkle in Apple's uh, chasing of services revenue. Yeah, I I think that it's for me like obviously all the the stuff that they can do is fine, right? And like when you were talking earlier about other companies, one of them is Jamf, and I, I saw a story where the Jamf CEO was welcomed to Apple 
to you know yes. like, you know Seriously. we welcome you to this business um and it's like because you said like sometimes well, then people can realize oh we need oh this this apple's thing doesn't do this thing does anything else yeah it is always going to be uh, sometimes it's famous last words but it's always a validation of your business right mm-hmm. when apple says you know what supporting these businesses is, is important uh and then, and you as a company have struggled to explain, which sometimes happens, why you why businesses need your product. It's incredibly validating to have Apple to point to and say, "See, Apple's doing it. Of course, it's like, of course, it's valid. Mm-hmm. Apple's doing it, and what we provide is more than what Apple is doing." And that's the that's the trick, right? That's always the trick when the the platform vendor enters some category is that you've got to be nimble uh, because they won't be probably, and you've got to be able to uh, deal with the edge cases because they won't probably, and and you and you build a business around all of that. Um, and my guess is that there's a lot of business to be had that is not going to get taken away by Apple's thing. But it is inter- interesting that Apple is is going there and targeting this. Um, it's also, yes, if you look at other, and, and we're getting some of this in, in our uh, Discord members uh, chat right now, which is a lot of Apple's competition does versions of this. I mean, Dell is a great example because Dell sells into a lot of mm-hmm. businesses and, and, and they've got you know that kind of support level too and like it's a good i would i would imagine that this isn't something coming from the services group saying you got to give us hey uh business people you got to give us services revenue my guess is that this maybe comes from the business people saying we need to compete with the dells of the world better and it's not about we're worried that Jamf exists or we're worried that Kanji exists. It's more that we're going into organizations and they're saying, why can't you give us what Dell gives us? And and yep. I don't know a lot about that world, again, but it's, you know, if it's anything like it was when I knew more about it, it's cutthroat. <laughs> and, you know, and it's not, let's roll over this small company that's doing device management. It's more like, how do I sell 5,000 devices into this company? And when mm-hmm. I'm competing with other companies that want to put, you know, Dell laptops or whatever on the desks. But I, I do think that that, like the on-site tech support and the over-the-phone tech support, that's like a real tick in the box for Apple. If you're if you know if you're a company or yeah. trying to decide which one of these do you want and that's the beauty of of this strategy is that you're leveraging apple care like that like apple care exists and everybody has good and bad experiences with apple care but apple care mm. exists and it exists for consumers and it exists for enterprise and they're basically saying we are packaging in apple care a special tier of apple care that is just for people who are in the business essentials program and it's going to have the phone support and the in-person support and it's from the you know it's from authorized because it's literally apple so it's authorized by apple and we can roll that together in a plan and you know i think their story would be uh, that way you uh, poor little hundred person company who cannot afford that level of support. If you can pay per user or per device, or it, it is both because it's, you pay per user, but the, the, the amount you pay is based on how many devices they have um, and how much support they get. But you can basically, you write Apple a check and then Apple will support its own stuff directly on the phone, in person, whatever it needs to do. And that, that's a good, that's a good sales pitch. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Capital One. Have you ever hit a technical glitch when shopping online? Maybe we're filling out extensive payment fields, it's enough to give you a headache. Or maybe your mobile banking app that you use was down when you really needed it. 
Capital One believes everyone deserves better banking. That means easier access to money and more security at the same time. That's why Capital One is investing in machine learning. Machine learning allows Capital One to do things like fight fraud with random forests, with models that quickly detect suspicious activity and make it faster to alert federal investigators. And they can identify how mobile app outages happen with causal models because they use anomaly detection and incident response to help determine why app outages happen so engineers can quickly remedy them. Capital One also speed up online shopping with machine learning at the edge, which makes shopping with virtual card numbers smoother and more secure. The technology is based on logistic regression models and running inference in the browser, and it identifies payment fields which helps make using virtual card numbers easier and faster. I really love when this kind of technology can make its way into our everyday lives like this, and I think it's super awesome how Capital One is really investing in AI and machine learning to make banking experiences better. This is the kind of thing I want from my bank. The potential of machine learning is so big. See how Capital One is using machine learning to create the future of banking at CapitalOne.com slash ML. That's CapitalOne.com slash ML. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Our thanks to Capital One for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's talk about Netflix. Da-dum. I see what you did there. Great British Bake Off. Mm-hmm. It's going on. They're down to the semifinals. It's very really exciting. Are. It's a great season. I haven't watched it week by week yet. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Before because they they uh, I I was watching them like season by season, but then we've watched it all now, and so this season came on, and I've been enjoying watching it. Uh, I know it kills Netflix to release it weekly, but I love it. Oh, I've is that how they do it? That's weekly. cool. That's yeah. Cool that you get yeah. It it's every Friday. Every Friday, I think it just shows up on Netflix, and so I, I'm current to the latest episode now. We're not so, actually yeah. going to spoil the Great British Bake Off here, by the way. Just, just no, so we're you not. know, we're talking about something completely different, which is Netflix games on the App Store. That's right. There should be a GBBO game, though. There totally should be. Well, it does. Then Great British Bake Off does not belong to Netflix. So yeah, well, it does. It does everywhere, but in the UK, right? So well, it doesn't belong I, they would have to, to make them. it the great the it's Great British their... Baking Show. AP. Yeah, but you yeah, know, they license it they, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, fine. Anywho, they should still do it. I don't care. Uh, I don't know what that game would even be. Is it baking game? Yeah, but what does that mean? Anyway, games. I think a, I think a Great British Bake Off game could be fun. Anyway, maybe a VR game. Sure. You know, so you have to be in the tent and you're like trying to make a meringue. That would actually be excellent. Someone needs mm. to someone needs to work on that. It's like Job Simulator, except it's a tent simulator. Yeah, exactly. A Job Simulator version of the Great British Bake Off, and it's okay. like soggy bottom. Anyway, did you? Yeah, oh, that's what you lose if you get the uh-huh. soggy bottom. Uh-huh. Did you know? So in the U.S., it has to be called the Great British Baking Show. Yeah. Because of a trademark, because Pillsbury yep. owns the trademark of Bake Off. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know that they shoot a totally separate intro for yes. the U.S. now? The only reason I found this out is because uh, I was talking about it on Analog with Casey, and somebody wrote in to tell us that they record two. So when they say, welcome to, and then they do both yes. of them. Yeah, because yeah, they didn't used to. When it was not a, a hit on Netflix in America, they used to just oh. uh, cut cut away or not show it. Um 
And they now record their a second version where they say it the American way so that, that we in America can get the... In fact, it used to be at the end, they used to put up the name and there would be this weird freeze at the end right before the credits where they had huh. to like freeze the video so that they didn't violate the <laughs> trademark. But now they now they produce two versions. So I really love Matt and Noel together, by the way. I think that they're yeah. a fantastic pair. Uh, yeah, I had no idea good. that they would that they would work out so well. Yeah, uh, but they, they really, do. really are. And anyway, it's, like my, it's my <laughs> Taskmaster friend and my Doctor Who friend, and now oh they're my boy. baking friends. So. We are not talking about the Great British Bake Off. So, as previously, well, I think we are, Mike. <laughs> I we think have. it happened. We're not I, I, for Christmas to. last year. I got. I had oh Lauren get me a Paul Hollywood cookbook. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about games on Netflix. It's fine. So previously reported that Netflix were going to start working on games. It was a rumor, and then they spoke about it on their earnings call. These games have now started to roll out uh, on both the Play Store and the App Store. There are no ads, there are no fees, and there are no in-app purchases in these apps, but you have to Mm -hmm. be a Netflix subscriber to play any of the games. So all of these games have been launched as individual titles. They're not inside of the Netflix app, and there isn't like a Netflix games app. There's just a selection of games. So this is something that you may remember that Microsoft did not want to do with launching Game Pass on iOS, which is why that's now only available on a browser on iOS. Mm -hmm. Now, one interesting wrinkle that has been discovered about this is if you go to one of these games on the App Store... And I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, a couple of articles, one at Six Colors, one at 9to5Mac, which links out to these, some of these games. If you go to them and you're not a Netflix subscriber when you open them, you can subscribe to Netflix through Apple's in-app purchase system inside of these games, which is something you cannot do in the Netflix app right now. And I find that fascinating because that is Netflix, for some reason, thinking yep. that these games are important enough that they will play by Apple's rules. Yeah, yeah. I think the games initiative is important enough to Netflix that, that they will play by Apple's rules. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I don't think Netflix believes this is a real um, major source of acquisition of subscribers for them. Mm-hmm. And so are they willing to, to do it if they need to? Yeah. Right. Like, I I just I don't think this is a big business model change for them. I think this is them saying, um, if that's what we need to do to get games in the app store, let's do it. Because it's not like it's going to be I mean, it's only going to really be people in the games and the people getting the games are going to be Netflix subscribers. It's it's really not going to be a big deal unless they have a hit. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, hmm. I played one of these games. I wanted to see what the experience was all about. Okay, I tried to. Okay, cool. I was poking around with one and I played a game called Uh Shooting Hoops. Uh, yes, I saw, I saw that one. It's one of the games that I played. Um, one thing that I found interesting is I didn't need to do anything. I needed to sign in. I was logged in automatically. It knew it was me. And I know that there's a way that apps can do this. Because yeah, I've had Microsoft like, Google Office apps do does this that. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. They know you're signed in somewhere and they're able to pull that out. I don't know how this works, but it is a thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. And the game was like not very good. <laughs> It just was like, so I want to try and explain this. It's a basketball, like, shooting hoops kind of game, right? So, like, you're shooting hoops of a basketball. But the shooting comes from the fact that in the game, each basketball has, like, a Nerf gun attached to it. And yeah. when you tap on the screen, it shoots, like, a Nerf bullet out of the gun. So the, the, the ball moves in the opposite direction to where the gun is pointed. And you're supposed to, like, basically keep shooting in the right direction until you get the ball in the hoop. 
it was really it. hard and Shooting. just not very fun. Like it, it was not good. Uh, it was like mm-hmm. basically I could tell someone had a good idea for a game from the name, mm-hmm. and from I the don't name. think it was very well executed. Yeah. Um, this isn't to say that like you know they can keep making games like this. Like I think of Flappy Bird, right? Like Flappy Bird is just really hard and really annoying and not really like a technically advanced game, but it caught mm-hmm. on. That could happen. Yeah. Do you think Netflix have the... What games did you play out of interest? I I didn't. I tried, but I'm on a beta and I couldn't buy them. I tried to get them, you know, and I would put in my password and it would say, that's great. And then nothing would happen. And then if I found them in the app store and I tried to download them, they would just spin. And I think it's... I'm going to give it to the beta that it's probably an iOS uh, 15.1 beta problem. But I did get to the... The thing that I liked about it is that there's a strip in the Netflix interface that is, we also have games and here are our games and you can tap and it will open a window that tells you what the game is. And then if you tap in there, it will open that app store, um, basically floating window that lets you do the download. Huh. That's in. Oh, I've seen this now. That's interesting. See, so that's, I think that's the whole idea here is that you're, a Netflix subscriber and they, they want to be, I don't want to say they want to be like Quibi because nobody wants to be like Quibi because Quibi is, is dead in a ditch. But I would say entertainment services are well aware that there are lots of times when you, you're watching a 30 minute long TV show is not a thing that you're going to do. Yeah. And so they want to be the, the ego involved here is Netflix wants to be the place you always think of when you want to be entertained in any way, mm-hmm. which I, I, would argue is silly and uh, generally oh, they should get over themselves and realize they're really good at one thing. And it doesn't mean that they need to be good at everything, but um, because, but, the, and that was Quibi's idea was like, we'll make videos that you watch in the, in the supermarket line. Like, okay. Uh, didn't work. But, uh, but what Netflix wants to do is like, well, you're bored and you're on your phone and Netflix is there, but you're not going to watch Netflix. But if you learn that Netflix has games, then you and they're included with your subscription, then maybe you'll play Netflix games and it will just add to the value that you connect to having Netflix. And then Netflix is no longer just a movie service. It is a an entertainment service on your phone that is for videos and it is also for games. That is the premise, right? And I don't think it's a bad premise. I, th- I think that uh, having the games exposed in the app Having them tied to intellectual property of Netflix is fine, but it doesn't have to be that way. They're basically building an Apple Arcade, except, you know, a cheap version of it or cheap, you know, in terms of the apps not being that great so far. Uh, but they're building Apple Arcade where it's like, look, you Netflix comes with games now, too. So one less reason to cancel Netflix because you'll also lose all these great games that we provide for you. Uh, interesting idea. And doesn't it's not too bad, right? Like if you can jump straight from the Netflix app to find the games and download them, and then they're just in your app library on your phone um, or your iPad, uh, that's not a bad experience. Like it was bad for me because I was unable to get them. But again, I'm going to chalk that one up to the beta. I, I, I like the idea that right from within the Netflix app, you can tap, read, tap, get, and open. And you know, you're four layers deep at that point, but still you can get to the you can get to the game. I'm surprised that they do that though. Like that this must be a we did everything Apple wanted us to do and they let us do this part thing. No, that I, that is no different than 
I'll, I'll mention Microsoft Office again, but it's like it's no different from any other company that has other apps in the store okay. that can link to their other apps in the store. And that's what they're doing. Right. Because I guess because what I was thinking of, which is this isn't that, is the idea of you can't have an alternate app store. But if it's your own application, yeah. surely that's okay to link it, to. Yeah. Well, and it's yeah. not an alternate app store. It's the yeah. app store. It's your apps in the app store. Right. Yeah, of course. They, you're not downloading them from the Netflix app, are you? In the end, you are in a panel that is an app store panel Yeah. with an app store you know, buy or in this case, uh, get because you're they're free with in-app purchase and the in-app purchase is Netflix and you can just get them. And so it's exactly how Apple wants companies like this to do it. And this is, you're completely right, this is what Apple wanted Microsoft to do. And I think Microsoft's whole point was, well, this is ridiculous. It's it, it, They aren't apps. They're just streaming. Uh, and Apple said... Yeah, but you could just put them in the app store and have an in-app purchase thing for your service and people will search for your app and they'll find it, the game they want to play, and they'll find out that it's through Microsoft Game Pass and then they'll, like, you could do it. It's just a, a lot of work, but it keeps the sanctity from Apple's perspective of the app store. And, and uh, I will admit there's lots of complexity that's not in this Netflix implementation, but mm-hmm. As an implementation, it's fine, right? It's literally you're scrolling down through that Netflix stuff and it says, hey, games, and you tap on a game and you can get it and you can play it. Like, that's a perfectly reasonable way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's working fine for Netflix. I still stand by Microsoft saying, no, we're not going to do it. Um, because, yeah. like, my I mean, feeling is like, well, they don't need it. They don't need it in the app store because they do it on the web. And you right. know, like I don't think Apple. I I don't. And I've said this before. Like I think I'm kind. Of, I think I have a, a a general frustration at the moment with Apple, kind of believing that they can tell every other business how to run their business. In this case, I think. I mean, with Microsoft, Microsoft could do it or not, and they chose not to. And, mm-hmm. and it's like fine. You, you don't have to. From Apple's perspective, having an app and being in the app store is helping your product <laughs> and so you probably want to be in the app store and microsoft basically said we're fine thanks like we don't we don't need that mm-hmm. and they found a way to do it and like what i took away from the netflix thing is that microsoft totally could do this if it wanted to but it really doesn't want to and that's fine like i think it would be weird and maybe not very good and i think that might be enough reason for microsoft to say we're not going to litter the app store with our shell apps that just <laughs> open a window to a virtual game somewhere uh instance somewhere so you can play it fair enough but um but netflix has shown that they can go down this path and i follow do wonder apple's though. rules at what part and for what reason are they allowing the sign up with Apple's in-app purchase system part? Why is that happening? Because Netflix don't want to do this. So I why think are they doing the it? The rule is that certain kinds of apps have that have to offer functionality or if they're a subscription exactly. only, only they have to offer a sign up. So it's the same thing as I believe it's the same thing as that if you open a Microsoft Office app, you, have to you can to buy do something. You can buy Office 365 in in-app purchase, or you can enter in your Microsoft. And ID. this might be the second, maybe potentially bigger issue with the Xbox thing. Sure, right? right. Like if every time you get that that amazing premium game that's on Xbox Game Pass, you have to offer a Game Pass subscription where Apple takes a cut, mm-hmm. and that they don't want to do that. I think. I, also, I think that's a different scenario because Netflix has. 
if if Microsoft bought Game Pass, like there's no Game Pass user base on iOS, so to speak of, and so everybody doing it is going to be prompted with that sign in. Whereas Netflix is, you know, ninety. I would wager ninety nine point nine nine percent of people who find these games are going to find them through Netflix, and they're mm-hmm. going to be Netflix subscribers. So the risk of losing a lot of revenue by having somebody find the game from the other side, and you're right, they could have a breakout hit. Uh, that it's unlikely. Somebody might si- uh, and then they would open it and they'd be like, "Oh, Netflix. Well, I don't want to sign up for Netflix. Like, yeah. For people to find a game everybody's talking about and literally sign up for Netflix to play the game now." whoever's in charge of games at netflix that's their dream that is the <laughs> moment where they're like we did it everybody we made it but probably not gonna happen not. and it's not that big a deal because what they want in the end is just to to drive people from out of the netflix app into the app store to get these games and then once the games are on your home screen then you win the like netflix has got you got you there and they're done yeah, then the whole Netflix, this whole Netflix game thing seems pretty misguided to me. Like, this doesn't really feel like a winning thing. I mean, I likened it to Quibi, okay? So, you did, like, yeah. I'm, with, so that was... I'm with you there. I, I think, I, I don't, I mean, look, capitalism, I get it. <laughs> but yep. companies that dominate in an industry don't have have to imagine what if we dominated in all the other industries yes. too. And yeah. Th- yeah. that's what yeah. I get a whiff of from Netflix here is like, just because people like watching your movies and TV shows doesn't mean that you need to capture their attention when they're waiting at the dentist, right? Like you don't have to own that space just because, but someone at Netflix is like, no, all entertainment of all kinds ever must only be Netflix. Like, okay, but it seems like you, it seems like a waste of time. Because it's like you could say, well, what about Apple Arcade? And like I say, I would say, I hear you, but it's different. Like Apple have the entire app store, right? And so like having their own curated games section that you pay a subscription for just makes a little bit more sense than right. the the now, video streaming service. So. My my uh, generous take for Netflix would be um, they have no worlds to conquer. Their enemies are, I mean, again, there are lots of streaming services out there, but they're the big dog right now. So it's like, okay, we got all the streaming service stuff. What's our competition? And they've talked about this. It's like our competition is people playing games. It's people not watching Netflix, right? Time. It's literally all other forms of life on the planet that we are competition for netflix you know anything that takes anybody's time is competition for netflix exactly so from that perspective i can see it i can also see it that they want to they are running out of ways to make a netflix subscription more valuable and they want to keep increasing the price and they got to find reasons to do exactly And, and there's julia and i talked about this on our podcast downstream two weeks ago not the one that we're recording in two days, but the one we recorded 12 days ago, fortnightly. How does it work? Um, and the, the, that's the, that was one of our reader questions was, how long can they, like, will there be a $40 Netflix account at some point, right? How long can they raise it? And and you end up in a really weird position where there's two things. They could do more of what they're doing now, which is sort of like premium, which is like higher quality. And you could do a Disney-esque thing where there's like premieres that you get sooner. It's unclear if they want to do that. But you know... Um, the game thing gives them some options, right? The game thing allows them to maybe raise the price of a Netflix subscription, but then offer a lower cost 
subscription that doesn't include games. And then the game suddenly becomes an inducement to pay more. Oh, you pay more and you get more. Or maybe they break it out at some point and say, well, this is an additional revenue source. We bundle these two things together. But if you just like games and you are in that in-app purchase screen and you don't want to sign up for Netflix, well, guess what? We've got enough games now that we're going to let you pay us $5 a month and play all of our games even though you don't get to watch the rest of Netflix, or maybe you only get like a little bit of Netflix, plus you get all of our games. Like it gives them, the, the counter argument is it gives them more flexibility and it allows them to raise their price. And I get all of that, but there is also this scent of, uh, of just the hubris of like, we must find your eyeballs wherever they stray from Netflix and then bring them back to Netflix. And, and that's why I'm skeptical unless they spend more money and get better games, that this is actually a strategy that's going to work for them. But I understand maybe why they're doing it. This episode is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every single item sold with an equal item donated. So this holiday season, when you gift Bombas to someone on your list, you're also giving them to someone in need. It's a give-give. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes that you can't wait to put on every single day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. They're made from super soft materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere, which makes them perfect for cozy winter layers as well. There's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do. They come in performance styles for every sport, holiday styles for when you're feeling festive, and tons more. Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight so they hang just right. And Bombas underwear has a barely there feel that might make you forget that they're even there at all in a good way. Bombas are the coziest gifts for everyone on your list. And thanks to their festive gift boxes, you don't even have to wrap them. All you have to do is the giving. Socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters in that very order. That's why Bombas donates one for every item that you buy. Bombas are made to be the perfect gift and made to give back to those in need. So happy giving. I absolutely adore my Bombas products. I really love their socks. That, like, the seamless part is so good. Like, it's so comfortable. I never feel uncomfortable in them. They really are truly excellent. All padded and everything. I really love their stuff. Go to bombas.com slash upgrade and get 20% off any purchase during their big holiday sale. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash upgrade for 20% off. That URL one more time is bombas.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Bombas for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions. First one comes from Doug. Do you do any home automation with sensors of any kind, like door sensors or motion sensors? For example, turning on and off lights when you enter a room. Basically, when it comes to your home, how smart is too smart? Well, I will point people uh, if you are a, uh, a Six Colors member, and if you're not, why aren't you, to Come Dan on. Warren's piece from last week about his sensors in his new house. Because uh, Dan has done this. Uh, I'll also point you to ATP a couple weeks ago where Marco talked about sen- smart sensors in his uh, garage. I don't have any smart sensors. Um, I There is like an occupancy sensor in my thermostat, but like mm-hmm. basically I'm not doing any automations based on uh, sensors, mostly because I work at home. So I feel like there's a lot of automation that makes more sense if you leave and then you come home uh, than if you never leave home, which is me. 
So I, I don't find a lot of value. I've never had a use case where I'm like, oh, wait a second. I know how I can solve this is with a sensor. Um, however, I have a smart lock and the smart lock has, uh, you can automate based on the state of the smart lock. And one thing that I did set up at some point is an automation uh, that if the smart lock unlocks after it's late, it's like after 11 p.m. or something, mm -hmm. it turns on the front of the house light uh, outside and in. And the idea there, especially true when I had a, a, a senior in high school, well, I do again now, but uh, he doesn't have a car. Uh, when my daughter was a senior in high school, and then uh, when she was back with us, you know, she would be out late, or sometimes we would be out late, and we would be coming back from somewhere, and it's dark. And uh, ideally, your phone auto unlocks the front door, which is great. So I set up an automation where when the door unlocks late at night, the lights come on. So you mm. can see, mm, <laughs> which is good. very convenient. Is that indoor or outdoor lights? Both. 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 It's the lights in the living room, which are the lights that I have on a smart, uh, uh, it's a casita switch. And it's the front lights outside in the house. Mm -hmm. And so ideally, if you pull up in your car and the smart lock sees that you're, you're back and it unlocks the door, uh, but even if you have to put in the code on the door, it will, when it unlocks, the automation fires off and the lights come on. And that's, that's I wouldn't say it's a must-have, but it's always been a kind of nice little convenience that it knows that somebody's there and that it's dark out and that it's late, so late that the lights are all out. <laughs> and so I'm going to turn those lights on as, a, uh, as a, a help to that person who is stumbling in at midnight or whenever. The majority of my smart home stuff is hit the studio. Mm-hmm. In our home home, we just have Hue lights. That's it. Um, but at the studio, I have a bunch of things. You know, I, I have Hue lights and I have uh, Eve radiator control things mm -hmm. and I have uh, ring security stuff and all that. Now, I can't currently get all of this to talk together. Um, right. I, I, I'm looking forward to matter because hopefully I can get my ring gear to talk to HomeKit in some way. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe nice. if you opened the door because i have sensors on the door it would turn on the lights you know that like would that, be nice right? right so uh maybe in the future but right now all i'm doing is just the the geolocation stuff that is built into HomeKit. so as i'm mm -hmm. walking as i basically every time i get to the studio my hue lights are always on and which is happening automatically and because also, it knows that you're close it knows i'm close and and that's nice I also have one which is a if Mike forgets thing, which is turns off the radiators and the lights after like sundown if I've left the radius. Right. So, yeah. And I like that. They're good. Just in general, I really like HomeKit stuff. I, I like that I can turn on like my radiators to heat up the studio uh, when mm -hmm. I'm on my way to the studio. Like stuff like that. It's just like I really like all of that stuff. Um, and I, I genuinely, like, I cannot wait for this matter thing. So there is a more possibility of me being able to feel like I can freely add more to the studio without increasing my level of complication and having to download a bunch of really weird applications to get it all to work. Like, I, I genuinely think that once they get this stuff working together properly, all of this is just going to become so much more powerful and more simple. Oh, yeah. And I, um, I agree. 
I have thought about doing occupancy sensors, and the problem with occupancy and motion sensors is you end up in that... I mean, a lot of listeners have probably been in this with regular non-smart versions of this, but you end up doing your job and the lights go out, and then you have to, like, flail around with your arms to make the lights come back on because you were sitting too still and so that it decided that you weren't there. Uh, We have an occupancy sensor in our kids' bathroom, and when they would they would be uh, younger and they're like taking baths and stuff, uh, and the lights would go out, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'd be like we'd be waving our arms to get the lights to come back on, mm-hmm. and that's just my always been my experience with occupancy sensors is that uh, you end up I've not never, moving enough. I've always loved the idea of them. I've never had a good experience with them. No. No, definitely not. It's better for something where it's like you roll up to the front door and the light comes on, right? I, I totally get that. Um, so, yeah, but I, I'm optimistic about HomeKit stuff. I, I I think it's getting better. But I am also a believer, a real believer in the fact that you need to move past the, uh, the again, they talked about this on ATP a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, you need to move past the... Uh, it's so complicated that you have to be an expert or use a special device in order to use it kind of phase. And, and you have to have it be that you can have, it's not just the bulb, but like the switch, uh, that knows. And that's why I like the Lutron Caseta stuff is that I, it's a switch, which means that if you don't know anything about HomeKit, you just press the button and the lights come on. And that is super important because uh, the early home stuff was not for regular people. And like people get confused about my lock, which even before it was a smart lock because it's a deadbolt. And the and people don't understand you have to unlock the door in order to leave. There's no lock on the latch. It's, on, it's a separate deadbolt. And like that's not even that complicated and people don't understand it and we have to tell them how to do it. So uh, it can get really complicated more than people want really fast so it's got to be more solid and more normal and really like behave like a normal thing but also be smart uh that's where we need to get and we're not quite there yet yeah when you know like we're hoping to move maybe next year like or we're going to start the process of it and i think stuff like this i want to integrate as well as the hue bulbs like i really love hue bulbs i, I like the lamps because we have the color ones and we like to change color and stuff like that like it's just a thing that we enjoy and most of the time at home uh, we just use the lamps that have hue bulbs in them because it gives us more than enough light. But if we had a bigger place or if we were maybe doing it over, I would maybe also look at, all right, let's just change the switches. But yeah. it's just too late in the game for us now at the, uh, our, in our apartment. But I, I think I would want to do some of this stuff as well as all of the other stuff. Um, it Like home automation is really interesting to me. But even though it's been around for so long, it really does feel like it's just kind of getting started in a strange way but we'll see Hmm. uh neil asks did you guys buy the 14 or 16 inch macbook pro i'm having a hard time deciding i didn't buy one i know but so the thing was i know you didn't buy one i know you have the 14 and i have the 14 and we said it but i wanted to make a point here which is why i wanted to have this question which is my same point for ipads like the 11 inch or the 12.9 if you do not know which one you want, you want the small one. <laughs> because the 16-inch MacBook Pro and the 12.9-inch iPad are massive for their product classes. And they are unwieldy in their product classes. And I feel like you only want the biggest something. 
if you already know what you need it for. I feel like unless you have a specific use case that requires the 16-inch MacBook Pro or the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, unless you know what that is, that's not the one you want. I'll take it a little further with a 16-inch. Having not held one, only I can only imagine it compared to the 14-inch. I feel like if you want... Um, if you want to use it as a mostly as a desktop and you want to use that big screen, but you're not planning on traveling around that much with it, then I, I think it's fine um, if you're a little more reluctant of a laptop traveler. But if you are um, more going to travel with it, I, I think generally just go with the smaller one. Like I, I appreciate that it's a bigger screen, but that's I, I I've always been skeptical of those enormous laptops. You really need, like you said, you really need to have a use case for it. What did they? The, the old seventeen, I think, used to be called a lunch tray. Is that right? Uh, I think that's yeah, what we cafeteria used to call tray. It. Absolutely, cafeteria tray. That's the one. And Chris asks, are you using the new Safari start page features? If so, which I'm loving reading list and using it in place of bookmarks instead. Am I really using any? I, I've got shared with you on there because every now and then there's somebody sends me a link and I'm like, oh yeah, that link. And it's insured with you. But otherwise, pretty much no. I like that I can customize what's there. Um, I'm having a weird thing with my iPad mini that it is not showing me re- like uh, frequently visited, even though I've turned it on. Like It won't show me, which I find really strange. All my other devices have no problem with it. I also like that I can reorganize like wh- where they show up in the list. Yes, you know? agreed. Um, I'm not using my own background image, and I'm not using any of the like extensions that you can use for this stuff now. You know, like it's actually possible for somebody to give you an extension oh, right. that customizes that. I'm not doing any of that either, but I like that I can customize it because I can get rid of reading lists because I never use it. I don't need bookmarks yeah. because I don't have them. Right? Like I, I, I have the things that I want. I can have shared with you, but I can deprioritize it a little bit. Like, and you know, put because I like iCloud tabs more. Right? Like you got something open on of a device even though i'm using that less now because i'm a big tab group boy love my tab groups Uh, but yeah i like that they've added more there and i would be keen actually if any upgradians are using and really enjoying some of these like third party start page things you can send them to me i want to see what they're all about so you can just tweet them at me if you want to if you'd like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the Relay FM members Discord, which you can get access to if you sign up for Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com and you'll get longer ad-free episodes of Upgrade every single week. If you want to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com. Jason also hosts a bunch of shows here at Relay FM, as do I. You can go to relay.fm slash shows and maybe find something new to pick out. Jason is at JasonL on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you to Bombus, Capital One, and Setapp for their support of this show. But most of all, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. Goodbye, Mike Hurley.